You're listening to Inside Out with Turner and Seth. And this is a we're we're very fortunate to have this one, Seth. Uh, we're fortunate, but you're 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 good friends with this band. I mean, yes, but it, first of all, it's his first interview. This that gentleman, would be, that Ben would be. Factor, it's his first interview. The lighting, new lighting designer the for Humphreys McGee. Humphreys McGee, kind enough, I think in part because he's a listener to this show and has been since near the beginning. I don't, I didn't know that though. That was yes. a surprise to me. So that's really cool. So he kindly gave us his first interview. We since, have listeners. Yes, we do have listeners. They're not as legion as they should be. Let's go, people. Spread the word. Review us on iTunes. Tell people. Come on. Dropping the ball a little bit out there. But you know who's not dropping the ball? That's Robert Polay and Polay Clark. Ah, yes, that's right. Because if you got the ball, because you're running towards tax season. Folks, don't wait until April and get screwed. Get Polayed and get a first down. There you go. First down. Thank you, Polay Clark and Robert, who... Uh, I mentioned uh, today that maybe he should consider not going to Coachella, and he laughed in, in my face. He Did said, you say it like that? Coachella. Coachella. I love mispronouncing it now. It's become a thing. Is he really going there? Yeah. Well, we'll say that for another show another time. Uh, it's like the worst festival. It's like celebrities and people talking. It's like great. Best lineup, worst festival. But um, that's just my opinion. That's not Seth's opinion. If you want to hear a lot of opinions, you should check out Osiris Media. There's a lot of different podcasts on there. Uh, we're proud to be a part of the Osiris Media family. And you and can check out all the – there's tons of great podcasts. Rob, what, which one do you want to mention this week? Touchdowns all day. Be careful. This one's addictive, uh, particularly if you're a Disco Biscuits fan. But to be honest with you, you don't have to be because John Barber Gutwillig is just such a funny, unassuming, natural host. Blows me away. He is really good, though, isn't he? He is excellent at it. And also, if you folks know, we, we've had Mark Brownstein on in, in my nightmare month of December. We interviewed him in October. The episodes came out in December. There are two parts. By the way, don't blow off that second part. It's really good. Uh, anyway, he, we talked a lot about Tractor Beam. Yeah. But if you really want the deal on Tractor Beam, you want episode 23 of Touchdowns All Day with John Barber. It is absolutely fascinating. It's the most I learned something every episode from this show. That's the most I've learned from this show yet. Oh. And brand new, I've not even had a chance to listen yet, is the Best of Fillmore Philly episode 24, just released. Touchdowns all day. Check it out. Well, thanks for that, Rob. And also, thanks for taking this trip. So just to fill you all in, Rob went down to Nashville to go see Umphreys McGee a couple weeks ago. Took one for the team, you might say. Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I wasn't able to make it, but... Um, and Billy Strings opened both shows. Did you know that was going to happen? I forget. Oh, no, he yeah. was He was an opener. I thought it was just... Okay, never mind. I, I didn't realize that. Yeah, and that was kind of... Yeah, all kidding aside, that was kind of... I'm always interested in going to see Humphreys. In Asheville, because I love Asheville. Oh, Asheville, not Nashville. Right. It's when you say in Asheville, it sounds like Nashville. Yeah. But this is Asheville, North Carolina, home of Kevin Castles, whose birthday it was the first show. Yom Huledet. He is a. Uh, he was. He worked with um, headcount guy uh, Andy Bernstein on Farmers Almanac. Andy kind of handed over to him. That was kind of the encyclopedia of fish. He also is a fantastic drummer. He's with Mother Vinegar. Which is with Carl Engelman, Carl Engelman of Alibaba's Tahini. You know what? He's in a band called uh, Kevin is in a band called Pleasure to Burn, who's opening for Twenty Four Seven Spies in May. Check wow! But also, um, wow, Rob, wow. Also, being an arena, <laughs> there's plenty of places to interview. Which folks. arena was it? That this the... was the actual right next to the Wolf, the big arena where Christmas Jam generally right, takes right, place. Right, okay, the the Thomas Mack. 
Uh, no, it's called now. Uh, uh, but like same Explore Asheville. Or okay, but that, that, it's that that building. You yeah, gotcha. where the hockey team. So plays. you were back uh, in one of the uh, dressing rooms that were. I'm gonna guess all cinder block and all that. No, I went back there to arrange things, but then uh, the first night. But then we ended up in a VIP room to the side, uh, which was great because when I was waiting, <laughs> when I was waiting for Ryan and Kevin the first day. Ryan Stakes, so you did another interview with Ryan Right, Stace, that was with Kevin one. that I was mentioning. We'll Ryan. release that one another time. Deep, deep dive into Old Humphreys. We'll release that probably before summer camp and when they play here. But uh, I need to discuss with Kevin further because I think there might be a release on the horizon that this episode would be apropos to. But we'll leave. Kevin Browning will be the man on that call. But I got to watch Billy Strings soundcheck. I also got to watch the freaking band teach Billy Strings Great American and Phil's Farm, which you'll hear at the end of the show. Oh, sweet. You're going to get that. Hey, who, how are you getting that? Is it all through Chris Mitchell? Yes, Chris Mitchell, Flying Eye Productions. Thank you so much. He uh, engineered this uh, interview. Thank you, Chris. And uh, hopefully we're going to do more. With Chris? Yeah. Oh, that'd he be great. also is always welcoming to me at the soundboard because I think he knows I, I mute my normal... Reactions. Well, if they put a pair of headphones on you, it helps you shut up a little bit. Yeah, right. But the dancing. If I, if I, like oh, the yeah. second night, I, I had, I got the itch to dance, so I got the hell out of the soundboard and went somewhere else. I'm not gonna do the Rob. What, what did Brownie call it? The Muppet dance. I'm not gonna Muppet do the Muppet dance. dance while people are trying to work. For those that don't know, Chris Mitchell. Uh, yes, he's Humphrey Sound Engineer, but uh, we also had him as a guest on our show way, way back when we first started. The podcast, which is, uh, I thought, three years. Rob, you're saying four years? I don't know. we got to look at that. But anyway. Yeah, it was four years ago. And by the way, Ben Factor helped me um, convince you. If you remember, you were reticent about having a sound engineer on. And we got a letter from a fan, uh, an email from a fan, encouraging us to have Chris on. And that was Ben Factor. No way. Yes. And we talked about that in this interview, too. We also um, we mentioned Luke in passing. That's Luke Stratton. Another Another lighting designer. He was one of the two finalists for this job. He is an absolutely brilliant designer. As a matter of fact, Jeff Waffle has uh, had his assistance many times, most uh, notably here in Atlanta in advance of the Tabernacle. Right, always the big had, shows that bring him in. Yeah, to help. I mean, yeah. Luke just knows how to work the big stuff. He's on the road now with Primus doing the Rush oh, right tribute. On. That's coming up. I'm not sure if that started or not yet. I, I want to see one of those, by the way. Hmm. I might go to two of those. I might go to Asheville, back to Asheville. Well, Primus doing everyone's Asheville. really interested in hearing about you, your plans for dinner, Rob. He also did uh, worked with Smashing Pumpkins, though, on their big... Oh, wow. Yeah, and uh, Dopapod and a bunch of other bands. But mm-hmm. he just, he got, didn't he like, uh, cut his teeth with Dopapod, right? Right. Yeah. And we talked about how the ways he's helped Ben along the way, too. He's awesome. He's key part. And, and we talked about how Jefferson Waffle, Ben's predecessor, of course, inspired Ben... To be interested in lights in the first place. And do you they, get do you get into it with Ben about uh, the transition? Because we, it's kind of interesting. I, w- I would love. To, I have to be honest. I haven't listened to your interview yet. <laughs> because nope. Rob did this one on his own, so I'm, I'm looking. Be surprised that you're not prepared for this. Um, but it, it, he he talks about how he's changed and moved on into a new new direction. And I'm certainly it's not that he's putting down what Jefferson did. This isn't like Democrats shitting on Obama. No. But it'd be interesting to hear like his perspective versus if you go back then and listen to when we talked to Jefferson and he talks about how he started working with Humphreys and the transition there. I wonder if there's some some similarities, some differences, and approach, and all. It'd just be interesting to hear about that. Well, he talks about the, the initial contact. He talks about a little mistake he made along the way and how he almost lost his opportunity, and then how the band one time just hung out with him, not even working before, and then and, and then I was there in his trial. One of the when I went to Georgia Theater, one of those shows that was his second show ever with them, 
And we talk about that too. The one thing I noticed, because yeah, yeah. anyone who listens to this show knows that my concern was mainly the improvisation element because the, to me that was what the way Jefferson moved with the band's improvisation would be the to me the most mind-blowing and the most consistently interesting and engaging thing. The first night I saw Ben do it with Humphreys, I was like, okay, this kid kind of gets that element. And I could see how it could grow into being excellent at it. And, so now and when I give you were a very in... specific example in this interview of how in Asheville he did just that. Go ahead, sorry. No, that's okay. So when in Asheville, though, did you notice, like if you didn't know Jefferson Waffles no longer with them, oh, yeah. would you notice, would you look at the show and go, wow, there's something different? Yeah, there's like LED, light, LED lights behind them that are like, I don't know how to put it, but like more striking lights. Is he that, still using a lot of Jefferson's show? Very, very little. Same board? That Mac board, Mackie, whatever? Or no, similar, whatever I don't think the same. Interesting. What about color schemes? Very similar palette? Definitely different color schemes. Different. There's a, a, um, he uses asymmetry more, as he puts it, uses odd numbers more, as, as, as he mentions in the interview, of all the people who um, submitted design suggestions he was the only one using odd numbers that caught the eye of brendan that caught the eye of bob stone that caught the eye of others interesting well let's uh let's jump into the interview i'm sure everyone's ready to hear it instead of hearing us talk about it thank you so much ben thank you to the folk the staff at the uh at the arena there in Asheville. thank you bobby hate that's a begrudging thank you but seriously bobby helped me find a spot and was very very welcoming and uh when are you guys doing your diet off hey bobby He's Give afraid. me a call. Let's He's let's afraid. do this. I, I mean, listen, Bob, you 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 got a good chance. Rob Rob can't put down food. No, but here's the thing. I'm a fat guy, but I'm athletic, so that's intimidating. When you actually how are you gonna... athletic? What's the most athletic thing you did other than dance? And by the way, the I last time dance you... a lot more than you do. You dance with a hand in your pocket and your your eye on your phone. I love shutting you up. I run. You do not, you, you don't move. That is true. You've been running a lot lately. I respect that and admire that. And I, I got to be honest, I'm afraid to. I would want to lose. Yeah, I'd be afraid for the ground. Thanks, Chris. We're in meeting room five, and I think it's appropriate we're doing it here because we're overlooking what I do believe is the first arena you've ever done lights for. This is true. I am here with uh, the young, dashing and daring and great light show he's sharing, Ben Factor. Hello, hello, hello. Humphreys McGee. And we're going to learn his story. But first, what a week you've had. Yeah. 
Um, for those of you, those of you who don't know, um, he started the week at Graceland. Memphis, yep. Which, I don't know, venue-wise, how was it? Felt like a convention center kind of vibe. So, yeah. a little weird. But beautiful room, and we also got a free tour of the, you know, the actual Graceland and all the planes. It was pretty cool. And you had a pretty good rig for the for the light show there? Yeah, yeah. Enough to, you know, patch in, make it bigger. And then the next day... The caverns. ...was the opposite. Not much, so... So you worked the cave itself. Yes. Caverns, we kind of stripped it down, started from scratch, moved everything where it is not meant to be just to adapt to the space. Um, yeah, the approach was to light the, the cavern as opposed to the band. Robbie. Wow, we have a guest, a, a mid-interview guest, Mr. Robbie Williams. Are you going to sit in? here to proctor this. You're proctoring. If, if I want to pass off a question, I'm, I'm just going to pass it off to him. <laughs> This is my lawyer right here. This is just your Steve Brandon, I see. I don't know that reference. Yeah, you're the lucky one. <laughs> uh, so the caverns for people know is essentially a cave. People, I'm, I'm, I haven't been there Quite yet. Quite literally a cave. Yeah, I'm afraid to go in there. What if the base gets too heavy and just... Yeah. Or what we if there's it. a fire? Well, fire. Everybody has to leave the same you, way. At least you died at an Umphreys show in the cavern. Hmm. Maybe. Not to be negative, but... No one died, so... Good. Yes. All good. No one's died in an every show yet. That we know of. That we know of. And then you come here. Um, you have an excellent grid, and you have an ability to kind of mold your settings, right? Mm. To yeah. alter the grid to the room. To alter your vision for the room, right? Yeah. This is like a... When we walk in, it's a completely blank space so this is one of maybe two times that we've actually built the rig the way it was drawn on paper heading into the tour um so all of the looks are intentional and thought through over you know the last couple of months and yeah it's been pretty freaking sweet and you have the lead led lights or how do, how do you oh yes LED, yeah those are t- those are technically called the x4 bars um they have 20 little pixels in them each can individually color, map, and do fun stuff with it. Um, yeah, and we, we've been changing the, you know, wh- where we're placing those on our trust towers behind the band. So the, the initial idea at New Year's was like three X's. Uh, that ended up not being our favorite design, you know, with the LED bars. It kind of had too uh, specific of a shape and people were, ah, it looks like Family Feud, it looks like this, you know, trying to keep it abstract for the band. So we've done, yeah, a couple of just different shapes and designs and tonight is, or or last night, we're doing a more linear kind of frame the band in a box kind of thing. And I like it way better so far. There's one specific moment um, during the Booth Love Improv where you have all the lights going. Mm Mm-hmm. And you weren't using those yet. Mm-hmm. And Jake was leading things. And then You're talking about the, the, the beginning uh, or, or the outro. I, I think it was the, the outro jam. Okay. There was one point in the jam yeah. where Jake's leading the jam. But then Brennan started easing in. Okay. And you used blue, the blue back to, that were kind of like emphasizing what Brendan was doing. Yeah. And then as he got more pronounced, they got more pronounced. Uh-huh. And then as that became poor, part of the music, yep. the blue became more of the light show. That's, in, that's by design. That is by design. Um, we have... 
we have like four or five layer, different layers of different fixtures in the rig. So the way I'm approaching it is splitting those layers up for different musical uh, things that are going on during the improv. So most of the jams, they're kind of starting from the ground up, you know, like the, they, they end whatever composed section that they just did, and it's probably breaking down to either just the drums or drum and bass or, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, I'm probably pulling out most of the rig except for the front light. Let them build up, and I'm going to build up with them. So Jake starts the idea, and, you know, probably the layer of Megapoints and Vipers, which are the ones in the air, those will start with Jake, and then as Brendan comes in with his little thing, that's where maybe, if it feels right, um... The LED bars come in to accent what he's doing. So it's kind of like a, it's a visual, you know, interpretation of what they're doing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's beautiful what is happening during improv. But like even All the, be- the moment. In the moment. But like the beginning of Smell the Mint and the, the beginning of the second set, you did a big thing. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, I was st- standing next to Chris. Okay. But everybody alongside of the soundboard looked back. <laughs> did you notice that? At no. The, it was right at the beginning. Try, of the, I, yeah. Mo- I, I look around when there's a break in the music. You know, sure, because you have to be focused. Yeah, especially with a tune like Smell the Mitten where it's, you know, syncopated hits all over the place. Yeah. Uh, it's good. It's good you're getting the positive response. Yeah. good we'll snip this together but um there we go ben factor what is it about the trusses that you were saying how you uh split the trusses and you you have a fixture at the center of each truss ah the center fixture yes are you still doing that or is that another thing the center fixtures is there in a couple of our layers um what that is referring to is if you're looking at a layer of lights horizontally across the truss, most shows you will see, at least in our jam band scene right now, 
are using an even number of fixtures so that the center of that horizontal line does not have light in it. And then moving outwards from the center, you know, you have lights symmetrically spaced. We are using a fixture in the center to then symmetrically move outwards. Um, so that changes the geometry. If I'm doing a finger, a finger ex explanation right now. But if we have eight lights and I'm holding my four fingers like this, right? Moves in, looks like this, moves out, looks like that. If you have a ninth fixture in there, which we do for one of our, one of our layers, when you move everything in, there's no direction for that center fixture to go to keep it symmetrical, but straight. So all of these different positions now have a straight line through the center, which is a very intentional decision that I think we, we yeah, that I made. Um, and I feel like it brings the attention towards the center, which is the whole point of lights to, you know, direct our eyes towards the people Absolutely. that are performing the music we paid money to see. Yes. Yeah. So that's the idea. Appreciate you walking me through that. Yeah. And we'll get back to some of, some of Ben's uh, current strategies and things and so forth. But sure. uh, Seth, unfortunately, can't be here, but he'll be assembling this episode. So I'll allow He's Seth. here in spirit. I can he feel is. his spirit in the room. And he'll provide the Wayback Machine because they're about to get in the Wayback Machine. Westchester County, not too long ago. Mm -mm. Gosh, I mean, even after Jerry was gone, you were, you were just a young kid in Westchester County. When did he die? 95. Yeah, but when in 95? August of 95. August 9th, 1995. Still in the womb. Wow. <laughs> Almost out. But still. It's a whole new era, just like the guy, fellow who opened for the band last night. Yep. We've got a whole new era of musicians and people enhancing the musicians. and um, But not very musical family, just like myself, right? Yeah, sure. My mom played piano. My grandma played piano. My grandpa, like, strummed guitar. But, um, yeah, not much past in the living room kind of vibe. Your dad was a big athlete. Mm -hmm. Sport for every season, you said? Still is. How old is he? Uh, 55? 55. That's good. I hope he stretches out. I have, I have a friend who kept playing sports and blew he's, his ACL. No, he's great. He's doing great. Takes care of himself. Good man. Yeah. And one brother, younger brother. One younger brother, Daniel. And um, by the way, th did they go to the Beacon? Yes. How was that? It was great. It was great. I had, I had them in, in like, you know, we had like four or five seats right behind me and right next to me killed for my guests, which was really nice of the crew to do because they knew it was a hometown hometown show and first show of winter tour. So, you know, there were a lot of people there that I knew and we accommodated and I had my parents and my brother right next to me for Friday and Saturday, which was just, it was great. It was very, very cool. Yeah. Right. But getting back to, you get into high school, you're starting to get into jam bands and all this stuff, just a little bit, yep. right? The first time I saw Umfreeze, I actually went for the opener. It was the London Souls. Oh, I love the London Souls. Uh, yeah, I was super into them. That was like my dream type of band to play in. Power rock trio. Gritty rock. trio. Yeah, Jimmy Hendrix. But good songs. Oh, and great songs. Honestly, yeah. man, London Souls, like, yeah, still all those songs are the shit. Yeah. Um, well, a lot of the, I'm just saying that because a lot of the gritty trio sometimes don't. That's what they're lacking. Ooh, they, they have, yeah, the, yeah, they have yeah. the umph. But they don't have the songs. Yeah, I feel like the London Souls took like the late sixties Hendrix, Grand Funk, 
cream thing and just kept moving with it and incorporating more. Um, anyway, I went for the London Souls. It was at, what was it called back then? It was either Best Buy Theater or Nikon Theater in Times Square. You know, yeah. that, that room, PlayStation caught, Theater. I don't even know what it's called at this point. Called the Disco Biscuits Theater. Yeah, sure. It's that, that room. Um, but I had, a, I had a friend who was into jam bands. Uh, Fish and Humphreys, and I saw that the London Souls were opening for this band that my friend John liked. So I was like, "Hey, we'll go see this, you know, see this show." And it was pretty sweet. It was kind of confusing the first time. There's a lot of colors and a lot of guitar playing. I, I play. I was, you know, serious about my guitar playing at the time, so I was super into it. Um, and then caught the bug. Maybe a show or two later. I don't know. I saw them like two or three times in my first two years. Of, of seeing them. Um, yeah. And at the time, your interests were... It's still high school, yes. Right. And you chose you Michigan, but as from from sound engineer perspective... Yes. Yes. Did uh, you concern any other, any other schools? Yeah, it was between Michigan, uh, Miami, and, and Florida, and NYU. But, but Michigan... I took my talents to Michigan. Took my talents to Michigan. Yes. I'm a big fan Not of... Not Miami. <laughs> I'm a big fan of someone from Michigan who might take his talents somewhere else. Who are you referring to? Tom Brady. Ah. ah. I'll always love Michigan because of that guy, but I digress. So, but it was Humphreys in some part yes. that tickled your interest in lighting, right? Oh, for sure. Almost single-handedly. It wasn't, you know, right, it wasn't right at that show in high school. It took a little while for me to understand and start to invest and... It's like a big inside joke, and it's you know it doesn't really make sense until you invest the time into it to understand the inside joke. And I'd say maybe late freshman year of college or early soft you know by early sophomore year I was you know fully caught the Umphreys bug, and I was at school in the Midwest, so doing these like you know three to four show Midwest runs were easy to just drive from Ann Arbor, right? Um, and yeah, the lighting was a huge part of it for me. Obviously, um, it was very specifically inspiring. It was a big part of the show. But your degree, you you stayed the course. You got yes. sound engineering got and music sound theory. When I went to school, my goal was to be like a studio cat. You know, like make records, mix records, be a producer. That you know arena of of the of the industry of art. Um, and I got in touch with this guy Mitch, who runs a company that does kind of like the truck mixing for award shows. Okay. You know what I mean? Like they get the audio feed and they mix it for the broadcast kind so of thing. So that sounds good. Yeah, sounds good. On um, air. On air. So he's not really a studio guy, but he's in audio, and I got to talk to him, and I explained, that, you know, this is when I'm trying to build a career and, and meet people and network and whatever, and I explained to him what I'm trying to do, and he was just like, where are you going to work in a studio? And, and he was just, it was just an honest question because the truth about that, Limited jobs. Yeah, it's not really a thing right now. Um, I mean, it, it is for artists that have the budget, but um, high quality stuff is you can make it with a uh, you know a laptop and a and an interface. And in, they want to work with people room. they know generally. Yeah, so the money's being made in these rooms right here. Absolutely. Um, so that was you know that was a big learning moment for me when he when that question was said like just where are you going to do that. Um, so I shifted my focuses from studio engineering to more live engineering, obviously, and then I was kind of exploring the jam band Umphreys scene, and lighting is a very pronounced part of all that. So I just started to consider the live show 
as the route that I was going to pursue. And that's why you got the internship? Yes, almost. The internship was a studio internship. I worked at Chicago Recording Company in Chicago, which is like a big budget studio in, you know, downtown Chicago. Um, and some of my co-interns there were also working for a live sound company that I said, I want to learn how to do lighting. I don't know how to do any of it, but could you put me in touch with, you know, the person who might have ex- a need for extra hands on the lighting team? And they, they did. This was a company called Midwest Lighting Productions or Lightning or something like that. They were funded or kind of opened by the Goldberg brothers who are the promoters for Summer Camp. Summer Camp, Yes, right. it was kind of like their in-house production company. I got a gig with them, and the summer after that, you know, working for them was my first, I, I would say, real house gig where I was the house LD campfire stage. campfire stage. Yeah. Right. 2016 folks, if you were there, that 2016, was 2016. Dopapod did the Sunday night at 2 AM where, you know, everybody in the festival was there. It was super cool. Um, yeah, I met a bunch of people who I consider mentors and, and, uh, uh, contemporaries in the lighting scene that weekend. I met Manny from pigeons and Luke. So, Luke Stratton, of Luke course. Stratton, yeah. um, and others, but yeah, those are the two memorable ones from that weekend. But that, well, did you get the Munion gig before you? you, you no, you know? Munion's after that. All right, so when do, you, when do you end up in the Colorado Hotel with Luke getting, um, getting uh, We're training getting on a console? So, so we did summer camp 2016. Right. Go back to school for my senior year. Right, okay. It's, you know, fall of 2016 into spring of 2017. That's This is the era we're in. Gotcha. Um, the, my, my front of house engineer on that summer camp gig, Noah, was a good buddy of mine. He got the Munion gig. Noah's key. Yeah. And, we, you know, we stay in touch. We're still friends. And coming up in the spring of 2017... Mungin was opening for Spafford on like a full month and a half, two month tour. Which we should say it was right after Spafford opened for Humphreys. Correct. And by the way, Spafford is just now getting their national, just at that point, getting their national. Oh, that's like, you know, Spafford, the fall, that fall of 2016 did what they call the breakout tour. Where they're now selling more tickets than ever, traveling across the country. And then they get the Humphreys opening spot for however long it was, two and a half months, something like that. So that's where we are in time right now. Yes. Um, I had a senior thesis project in which I was going to run the live sound and the lighting at the same time for my best friend's band, basically, in like this awesome controlled space in, uh, at Michigan. And that was my senior thesis project. Basically, I, I told my professors, I, I want to do what I want to do in, in the real world for my senior thesis. And they're Smart. like, great, cool, yeah. we support that. So we got like a bunch of just, you know, a band together and, and I... Uh, requested like a, a, a grant for some money to rent some lights. We put on like an awesome rock show, I guess. Um, I think it's still on YouTube. I might have made it private. Um, but yeah, that was my senior thesis project. And for that, I wanted to learn the industry standard lighting console, which is the Grand MA2 which is where we bring in this hotel room situation. Yeah, that's... You, Since I was very committed to learning the top-of-the-line software and because I knew I was going to need it for the industry, I reached out to Luke, um, who offers training sessions to those who reach out. So for 
I think, when was it? It might have been MLK weekend. I don't know. Sometime in the winter. Flew out to Colorado, and Luke and I, in front of a computer screen, he taught me a bunch of stuff for two days, basically. And that, that's, uh, that's where I got the wheels moving. And then by springtime, I was ready to be able to handle, uh, you know, a tour. Uh, Which, thank as, God. As a lighting, door, as a lighting designer. Because... Yeah. What happens here? Sometimes great opportunity come out of comes out of bad events. Sure. Oh yes, <laughs> exactly. So I was initially on that tour to run lights just for Munion. Right. And about a week or two before the tour started, unfortunately, Spafford's LD Chuck could not make the rest of the tour. Had some stuff going on at home. Right. So what I ended up doing, which was you know, it was really great, a great learning opportunity. Um, I ran lights for both Munion and Spafford for that tour, um, which is just like cutting my teeth every night, you know? Three sets of jam band music for weeks and weeks and, you know? I was Try by fire. I was ripping. Yeah. Learning every day, making mistakes. I'm, I, if I, like, opened the, the files that I was using those days, I'd be very <laughs> embarrassed. <laughs> but it worked. It worked. Made good friends with the Spafford people. Um Went into that summer thinking I was just full-time or, you know, mostly doing Munion. Uh, by the way, that tour, I was still in school. I, I, sk- I skipped a lot of my last couple of weeks just wow. to do the tour. You got the degree, though, right? I got the degree. I, I, again, it was my, I'm very grateful for the program that I was in because it was a very human experience, um, which is what- just the way they support their students. So I, I came to them, and I said, hey, there is this opportunity it's exactly what I'm trying to pursue as a career. I think I'm going to have to miss, uh, you know, these few days in the last few weeks. Um, and they were fully supportive. Well, yeah, because they want, a, you know, one of their... Why would they not support right. their student to go do what... They want their know? alumni yeah. also to flourish. Exactly. And then, then hey, I'm from Exactly. Here. So yeah. it, was, it was all smooth. Um, then I graduated, did the summer with Munion in the van, festival season. And there's another thing. opportunity that comes up out of a bad event. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly, man. Then it's August, mid-August. I'm living in Detroit at this point. Um, Mungin is going to drive. They're based out of Chicago, and we have an East Coast show. So they're going to drive to Detroit, pick me up, and head out to the East Coast. They park the van and trailer full of gear right outside of my house. Literally, right out. You could see the van from my window. Uh, They park the van. We go to bed. Next morning, van and trailer are not there. So was that awkward, uncomfortable? It is your house. You told them it'd be all right. I mean, no. no, no, it was it was fluke. I mean, maybe not fluke, but it sucked. And also, we also we learned from it. There should have been a better alarm and tracking system on that van and trailer. And yeah, anyway, that was a shared experience between Mungin and I, and it's all good. There's no weirdness there <laughs> at all. But that sucked. Someone literally broke into the van and drove away with. I think it was estimated to be like, you know, 30 grand worth of, of merch, gear, equipment, the whole thing. Luckily, each of like, you know, their actual specific instruments were inside, but we lost lights, merch, audio equipment, drums, the whole thing. Yeah. So that was a bummer. And I was planning on going on Mungin's upcoming fall tour, but then there was no budget or room for me on that tour. So about a week or two after that, I gave Brian from Spafford a call saying, hey, I don't have a gig. You have a tour coming up, and I don't think you have an LD lined up. Um, and I got 
got that gig. Wow. But it, it was all, it was kind of all in the fam. Cause at that point, Spafford and Mungin were being managed by the same people. They had just done that, you know, shared tour a couple months back. So I think it, yeah, it was a pretty natural transition. All good. Yeah. All good. All good. And then Spafford fall tour 2017. That's where it starts. That's where it like really started to invest in the fact that I was going to do lights for jam bands. Now, one thing just to, to pull forward, just for a quick aside here. Yeah. Um, Umphreys did something on December 30th that's, that's probably a little more regular for Spafford. They, they stretched a song out for the entire set. Right. Ringo. Mm-hmm. And that's a challenge for you because it's not just your normal improv, but you, you, have, you only have a certain amount of things set up to go to, right? Yeah. Can you explain how that is? And can you t- talk about how maybe working with Spafford helped you prepare for stuff for that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, Spafford definitely approaches their shows with a more... No, not more. They just, they're very committed to their free, quote-unquote, free improv sections. Really see what happens kind of thing. They have an audience that wants that. Yeah. If they want to do one song for a set, then go for it. Oh, the, the Spafford crowd loves that. Yeah. Loves that shit. I was at their show a couple of weeks ago, actually. They were in, in Brooklyn, and I brought a couple of my friends who hadn't seen the band before. And I think it was, like, the second tune or something. They were doing Minds Unchained, and, like, they're in just, like, that G-Vanth. And I turned to my friend, like, so, oh, yeah, by the way, <laughs> this is the thing. Like, this right. is what they do. This is the crowd. This is the thing. It'll build, and, yeah, we'll get there. Just lose yourself in it. Yeah, exactly. Just, yeah, surrender yourself. Um, so, yeah, as far as my approach to lighting those kind of sections, the challenge is to not, you know, show all your tricks before before they reach another yet another peak. It's 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 jam band music, which is a lot of ups and downs and ebbs and flows and you know, that kind of thing. And the yeah, I guess the challenge is to keep all of my peaks and all of my high energy moments uh patient. So so that even if so for example, I knew that they were gonna extend Ringo for the whole set. Um but there was no plan B where, hey, if it doesn't go, we'll, we'll fall back, drop into this. They were just like, nope, we're doing this. I think that was, yeah, no. No add-ons in the set? You know how they have the add-ons? And there was none. No, not really, wow. man. It was, I think we're just going to do it. Um, so, yeah. Um, how do I explain my approach to the Ringo? It was, what was it, 55 minutes, something like that? Yeah, somewhere between 50 and 55. Yeah, so basically, the way I run my show is split into two separate sections. On the left, basically, are the song-specific cues. And uh, it's Umphreys, there's 200 original songs and however many covers, so I'm continuously building these pages of song-specific cues. Uh, that's going to take a little while to finish. But on the right-hand side, there's kind of the open palette of imp- improv kind of stuff. The technical term that a lot of lighting people use is punt. So I'm all of the decisions, color, effects, movement, the whole thing... Those are all made in the, in the moment, live punting. Um, so for the Ringo thing, you know, I have a, you know, a few cues for the actual composed section, but then the rest of the, the, rest of the set was all in the punt section. Um, and it was fun, but also really challenging to, to, to keep it dynamic and also have, I mean, they got to like a shreddy 16th note thing within the first yeah. like 10 minutes, and right. I knew I had 50 more minutes to go. So how do I accent 16th note shredding with 50 more minutes to go? I don't really know, but I think it worked out okay. 
big part, I think a big part of re- the reason that was successful actually was the size of the rig. So we had all these different layers of lights. I could, I could keep two to three layers of, of lights off for the first 20 minutes and it'd still look big enough to be engaging. Awesome. Yeah. And so Spafford set you up for that. Did you, was, it, was it the same as far as having your, your board that way or was it more, were you more prepared for uh, improv? S- Spafford, I was fully punting. I'd never... Fully punting all the time. Yeah, I mean, like maybe f- for a couple songs. By the end of my time with them, I knew exactly what I was going to do for every song, but there was nothing like labeled necessarily in the file like this is this song. Except for America. You know, I had, I had a, a, a cue for America because... <laughs> Yeah, there you go. Obviously. All right, folks. Sorry about that little diversion. Let's get back to to Spafford. Now, um, Chris Erickson. Chris was, Erickson was a key person. <laughs> was a key person. Yeah, Chris was a front of house engineer for Spafford. Who I don't really know how he got wrapped up in the camp, but at some point, I think he was like teching at summer camp, and we met or something like that. Um, but he ended up getting hired to be the front of house and production manager for Spafford. He is an industry veteran and also a great human being. Um, so we hit it off pretty fast. And he came from a world of bigger stadium shows. He was out with Kehlani for a while. He's out with g Easy for a while. Like big top 40 kind of rap things. So he has a lot of knowledge to share. And being on the bus with him was a very formative experience for me because it was, it was a teaching. It was, it, was very, it was a big teaching experience for me. And he starts to become particularly important last summer. So we get to like June of 2019. Do you know it's ending with Spafford? Um, or is it, is it... Around then, yeah. 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 And around that time you get word that maybe things are ending here with Waffle. How did you find out about that? Um, I found out about that from the public <laughs> announcement. You might want to stay right on top of yeah, the mic. Yeah, stay on, on the mic. Um, I found out about Waffle like everybody else. Um, the second it, it was like on the social medias or whatever, uh, my phone blew up from just <laughs> friends who were like, dude, look. Any, anyone who knows me knows that I love this band and they know what I do. So when that was announced, uh, yeah, that was pretty cool to hear. But Chris reached out to, to was it Bob? I reached out to Bob. Initially. Chris gave you the, they made the contact. No, well, I met I met the whole Umphreys crew, not the band, just the crew, the summer before, summer 2018, because we opened for uh, we Spafford opened for Umphreys for a couple weeks that summer tour southeast run. Um, so I got to meet all of the the touring crew who are now my coworkers. Um, and when I heard about the announcement, uh, I emailed Bob Stone, who's the production manager for Umphreys McGee. Um, yeah. he's, he's the man who brought Manny Sanchez to the band Yes, true so, Throwing it back, studio people exactly. Right, so yeah. that's a good, good door to knock on Oh yeah, he's the guy Bob St- For anyone who doesn't understand that Bob Stone is the guy As far as production goes So what's the first Trial? What's the first uh- so The first email is a very formal Dear Bob kind of thing I attached a cover letter I wrote sincerely Ben um, I was super nervous in a coffee shop. I uh, didn't expect him to really even answer because I would imagine, you know, it was like a couple days after the announcement. I could only imagine how bombarded he'd been. Yeah, exactly. Um, but within like an hour, he responded, hey, good to hear from you. Had a feeling you might be interested. What you should do right now 
is develop uh, a, a virtual lighting rig of what you would do if you got the if you if you got the job. So an, a, another aspect of the console that I use is there is a, a digital 3D rendering program attached to it, so I can design and build anything in the box. Wow. Yeah, which is, which is a really, uh, you know, important tool to have for bigger shows to pre-visualize uh, all the stuff you're going to do. Um, so I took, a, you know, about a month, five weeks uh, to design a rig that I wanted to bring to the table. Um, and I would later learn that the rig that I designed was the only one of any, of any submitted to utilize odd numbers. That's kind of what what stuck out to Bob and to to Brendan. You brought asymmetry to the table, and 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 not in a typical way. The way you explained it to me is that you, um, your designs are technically symmetrical, but yes. the spacing between them, yep, or? spacing and usage of odd numbers. So where uh, I, you know, the the, the easiest way to compare it because everyone probably has seen and is familiar with the work of Jefferson. So it's, you know, oftentimes layers of six lights, which is an even number, evenly spaced across a bunch of different horizontal trusses. Just like layers and layers and layers of six lights. Whereas I take odd numbers of fixtures and group them really close and place them across the stage. So, you know, tonight we have five different what we call pods of three fixtures that are kind of like nuts to butts right next to each other. Um, and it's just, a, it's just a different approach. Yeah, it, it, it's kind of inspired by older 80s, 90s looking shows where they had those ACL bars. Do you know what an ACL bar is? Nope. It's, it's like a group of par cans that are spread out kind of like this. It, okay. If you saw it, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that thing. So instead of having the conventional... The rain effect like? Rain effect? No. Maybe. Maybe. Clapton Clapton had these things. He played Let It Rain. It would like... Oh, no, not that. Just think like Motley Crue in the mid... You know, in late 80s, that kind of thing. I, I watched a video of the Kiss lighting designer, and I was like, cool, that. <laughs> That's cool. Um, There's definitely Kiss fans in this band. Yeah. Oh, and Umphreys is like a modern arena rock band, you know? They, they jam and they play all these different things, but at least to me... The underlying feeling of the whole band is like a hair metal band, basically. Muscle. Muscle. Yeah, it's muscle rock. Stunt, Jake calls it stunt rock. Stud rock. Exactly. Stunt. Like, oh, stunt he, rock. Yeah, it's like he's, he's like, you know, he's the dude f- flying over cars with his motorcycle, but in a guitar player form. It's like what uh, Zappa used to call Steve Vai. Sure. Stunt guitar. Exactly. Exactly that. All right, so then... What happens between then and Georgia Theater? What else did you... Right. Okay, so we, we, I send, I send the, the digital rig. Goes over well. To what They're extent like, did you say to him, I'm familiar with this music, I'm a fan and all that, or did you try to... My first email. Mute the fan no, no. stuff. I, I tried to be professional about it. Um, it, it. It was not like, I'm the biggest fan, I know all the songs. It was like, I am familiar with this music and can guarantee that I will do a tasteful job. Which is, it's just different wording, same idea, different yeah, wording. No, well done. Well done. Um, but it's true. Like I, I do know all most of, of, of the music already, so I, I was bringing that to the table, um, and the rig. So not only did I submit a design, a digital rendering, but it was a video of my operating of a couple songs. Um, so I did Forty's theme and Higgins, which I felt like you know enough composed sections to show that I will make cues for the songs and also some improv. Sure. So a little bit of both. Um, so that went over well. 
Ban really liked it. Bob liked it. You're on to the next round. We'll get back to you in a bit. Cool. Uh, this is kind of... Once, once it was officially possible, it was just a crazy-ass six months for me, man. I was just kind of waiting and in and out. Is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Is he going to answer? Should I? Whatever. Um, so the, the answer was, we'll get back to you. We'll get back to you. And you're like, yeah, like, sure. Yeah. And then, like, you know, four weeks later, uh, the band was coming through the Northeast, playing in Huntington, Long Island, which is not a far drive from me. Um, so they said, hey, you should come out to this show and just, like, hang out. Let's see if we can get along as human beings. See how the vibe is. And it was great. Got dinner with Bob and, and Bobby Hate, our tour manager. Talked logistics. What does it look like? What's this? Blah, blah, blah. Met the rest of the crew who I didn't know. Louie. It's everybody. When you have dinner with Bobby Hate, does the dinner have to end at a very specific time? <laughs> I think he just operates on his own schedule. Oh, okay. Yeah, exactly. Just a, had to ask. Yeah. Keeps it, keeps it organized. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so Huntington was great. Had a, had a good time with the band. Or not, actually... I only met Joel that night, but I had a great time with the crew. We get along. I think it's, and it has been a great fit so far. So that, that went well. And actually, this is funny. In the moment right there, they said, hey, we have Residence Fest coming up and we need, we're going to start to do auditions that weekend. Are you around? And I actually said no, because I, I wasn't. I, I, I had prior plans for that weekend in hindsight i probably should have just scrapped whatever i had to take the audition like they offered me fucking an audition i don't know i'm playing hard to get maybe played in your favor seriously it did i don't don't need this job that bad i have i have later learned that after i said no there was a conversation behind the scenes being like did this kid just fucking say no like are you kidding me right now and it's like, dude, I know sound engineering too. Literally, maybe 36 hours later, I emailed Bob being like, hey, I canceled all my plans. I'm available now. And they're like, nope, already got another guy to audition. Ooh. Sorry. Mm. Maybe, we'll, maybe we'll see if something else can work. And I was were like, they, were you kicking yourself pretty Fuck. bad? Uh. Um, and then eventually, maybe a week or so after that, Georgia Theater run of dates was presented to me. And I was like, cancel every... I obviously kept it open. Um, so yeah, then I was confirmed. That's where you and I sort of met. I mean, we had yeah. talked at the Spafford stuff. And sure. if, if you don't mind me saying, you're, you're a listener to the show. Yes. Especially when you have guests that are specifically interesting to me. Like you had Chris on the show. Well, you, you emailed us suggesting uh, it. Ah, yes. Yes. That was junior year of college when I was super nerding out on on chris mitchell's you know whole audio thing he has a whole blog and yeah i know flying eye on all that yeah there's so much good to read so much good stuff to read and then i saw he was talking on your show well that i just want to point out that that's helpful to me Mm. because it can be hard my my co-host you know to sell him on having a sound engineer on it was difficult to do but then when a listener requested he was like okay we'll give it a shot and then it was this great interview well why is that hard why is that hard to get a sound engineer I I don't it's no with Seth it's hard convincing Seth Seth. we have you know it's a democracy to some extent yeah it's I mean that's there's an interesting tangent off of that it's funky because in the jam band scene it seems like the lighting designer is a public persona and nowhere else do fans have any idea who's who's running the lights? It's just this little circle. Even Radiohead's guy and Pink Floyd's guy, who are like revolutionizing the industry, a not lot of people Steve. don't know their name. Yeah, no one, no one knows their name. So remember, be glad they know your name. 
Maybe. It's in like five Humphrey songs, so they'll yeah. keep reminding you. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I, basically my email to you at that point was, hey, you should get all the crew members on your show, because that's what I wanted to do. Um, and I think your interview with Chris was great. It was interesting and technical at the same time. So We've tried to get other crew members and been turned down. I just want to let the record show. Got it. But so we talk at Georgia Theater, and yes. what struck me was, because um, my concern when Waffle left, I... I Knew they. He, he always told me that Rob, there's better designers than me out there. You know, hmm. he was very forthcoming about that, and he's actually been very complimentary of your, what you've done too. I want to get out there. Cool. To me, the concern was the improv. I think that's mm. he is absolutely freaking brilliant mm-hmm. moving with the improv with this band, and that was the one thing that struck me right away in that first set. I think yep. I told you at the break. Yeah. Was like wow. I mean, I wasn't saying it was seamless. I mean, they were fooling you. They're, they fooled you last night. They're going to fu- keep fooling you, and the job would be boring if they didn't. They, I don't think they fooled me well, last night. I'm not night. saying it in a bad way. You know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. No, like I, a I mitten. There was one point in Mitten they resolved that you resolved before they did, right? Maybe. And that stuff's going to be fun, and it's not most people. I'm only noticing because I'm interviewing you tomorrow, so I'm like yeah. s- watching it like it's a Bruder film. Uh, you know what? No, I got fucked up by the end of Mitten last night because it's, you know. Right, but they let on that they were resolving something and they took it again. Yeah. That's fun. That's going to keep it fun. Fair, fair enough. You My got me a minute. Whatever, whatever, man. <laughs> My only point being, it was immediately noticeable to me that you would be able to, to do this. Yeah. So basically, and I think Jefferson is a musician himself in in some form. Sure. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I've you seen have to you have to approach your lighting operation as a musician. Which when, did when you hear on our show? Did you hear his interview with us? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So if if you are improvising on lights in real time, you better understand. The idea of harmonic structure and and counting the correct time signature and understanding that they are doing different phrases in eight bar segments and when Jake leans back, we're going back to a section that we are probably at sixteen or thirty two bars before. Um, so yeah, I mean I've been listening to the band for probably seven years now, and I also play and invest a lot of time in my musicianship, so it feels natural. And yeah. do you have, like, like Chris Carota on our show said, he has, like, a 10 and 11. He goes to white, and then he goes to strobe. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a, an 11 to go to? Yeah. We are, we, yeah. Jefferson never used actual strobe lights for this show, and I am. So those are a very big tool for me to take it to 11. And it's, it's a fallback thing. Sometimes you don't even know. It's Yeah, sure. I, I think I've got, like, a set of maybe 10 to 15 buttons ready to go for when they are at full, you know, full throttle on freeze peaking. Right. Yeah. Leg on the amp. I mean, there there's there are so there are so many different ways to make a light show engaging, right? There's colors, there's dimmer effects, there's movement, and then there's combinations of all of those things at the same time. So, yeah. What about when you first get behind the console for the Georgia Theater, at the Georgia no, Theater? It was, it was ridiculous. How, how nervous were you? Not nervous. It was just kind of funny. I still think it's funny, this whole situation. I, I've been an Humphreys, like, you know, I've been an Humphreys fan and uh, uh, loved the work of Jefferson Waffle when I was in college and talked to all my friends about, like, this thing that I was super into and no one understood. Most of my friends don't really this is not their not their thing. I was trying to explain the Umphreys thing and the Waffle thing, and no one really got it. Um, so to be here doing that thing, it's just hilarious. It's awesome. Your parents must be beside themselves. Yeah. Oh yeah. My mom was 
immediate tears the second the house lights went down the first night. But were the fans coming up to you before that first show and giving um, you well wishes, or were they just kind yeah. of like, who's that guy? No, no, no. It's, it's been a very welcoming, warm uh, environment, pre- and post-show, by, by all the fans. It's quite a crazy fan base. Seriously. I mean, I was part of it, so I, yeah. I, I do get it. Right. You know? uh, I went up to Jefferson uh, freshman, early college, when I was you know, super into the band as a fan, and I went up to him after a show thinking that I was the first person to ever tell him that I appreciated his work. You know, I was like, in my own head, I was like, dude, I just I think you're great and I appreciate your work. And, and he was like, that, you know, he's perceptive of it. But in my head, yeah, I was, I was the first person to ever compliment him. He emailed you when you got the job, right? He did. That's pretty cool. Big, congr- big congrats. Luke, too. Luke called me. Oh, very cool. Yes. Yeah. Is he, are you still in touch with him? Back and forth. Yeah, I mean, it, Luke has never been a person that I consistently talk to, but I consider him uh, a mentor and someone to look up to as a lighting designer. Well, he's someone the band has reached out to when they add stuff at some of these big gigs mm-hmm. to help yep. them along. He helped Waffle program a lot, of, a lot of the complicated stuff. I watched him do it in Atlanta because one year it was in Atlanta. Yep, with all the BIs and, set and the circle trusses. Yep. Um, yes, I mean, Luke was the other person auditioning. And when the band made their decision and let all of us know what was going to happen, Luke was, yeah, probably the first person I talked to, just to give me a congrats and talk to you soon. So New Year's is the first run? New Year's was the first run, officially, yeah. So you're given, like, a a budget. Were there any more shows between Chicago and, I mean, between Athens and New Year's? I don't know. No, I was just in limbo land while Luke was doing his audition, watching him just crush it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Luke, (laughs) yeah. Luke is excellent. Yeah, he's great. And he did, he did like, the coolest venues, too, the anthem and film, whatever, yeah. And so I think the shows in, bet- in between my audition and New Year's were shows that I was not working. Right. So I was just kind of watching from the sidelines. Watching the webcast? No, I couldn't actually bring myself to watch it. <laughs> I was too nervous. And Luke is, is brilliant. I don't know, just from my perspective, this is what I was saying all along. It might be his own undoing that he's so well known because mm. I mean the Rolling Stones could swoop swoop in and and right. say hey, come on and I mean sure. who is going to say no to the Rolling Stones and that could happen with Luke Stratton that's not out of the realm of possibility. Sure, yeah, you're someone who probably will stick with this band as long as they're willing to. Well, I actually turned down the Rolling Stones right in November. Jagger, Jagger yeah. like calls people yeah, in if you if you guy. solo too long. Yeah, calls them in the office. It's like come on, man. Yeah. So I, so I played sax for a couple bars. I said, come on, relax. Right. And eat something. <laughs> yeah. No, but seriously, you think you're prepared for the road. That's part of it. Yeah. I mean, I, as far as a, a road gig goes, Spafford was as intense as, as, as it gets. I mean, we were on... We, we weren't in a full tour bus. We were in something called a bandwagon, which is basically like an RV in a box truck, basically. Um... You know, we'd be on the road, you know, across the country for, I think, three months at a time. So as far as being prepared for this lifestyle, I feel ready to go. 24 years old. All my coworkers now are still going, and they're older than me. (laughs) Well, the trick, I say this a lot, and my listeners are probably sick of me hearing this, but this trick is to make the road like home. That's what Hmm. Dylan and Willie do. 
or what these guys do is to make the time on the road, the band members themselves, make mm. the time on the road as little as possible, get right back to the family as soon as possible, sure. and minimize all that. Yeah, I mean, the way these guys structure it is, like, really manageable, because they all have families at home. So we're, you know, mostly playing on the weekends with a Wednesday or Sunday show here and there. Um, so there's a lot of space to get home. So you get the job, you get... You, you're going to New Year's. It's Colorado. Man, when I got the job, it was crazy. It's crazy. Yeah, and then you're not only not only is your first run this big New Year's run, but it's different venues too, right? So you had to prepare a budget and a light show for is it was it two or three different rooms for New Year's? Yeah, it was just Fillmore. Oh, I thought you had one smaller play and then two bigger. Or, or, nope. No, Fillmore four nights. Thank God. Yeah. Okay. So that but, helps a little. At but least. the approach to the New Year's rig is to basically extend off of what is designed for winter tour. Right. So I actually started with winter tour and then added onto and around that for New Year's. So then when the beacon comes in January, or is that are you more starting from your own? Beacon like, had been designed in December earlier. Okay. okay. Basically, you know, we, I got the call that we're going to do the gig. You had the gig, great. Take a week or two to relish in that awesomeness <laughs> and then got to work. Started talking about budget, started talking about what lighting fixtures we want to use. Uh, and then I would say by, I think it was the first week of December, if not before, we had the winter tour rig, which is what we're using right now, solidified, ready to go. Cool. Yeah. So That's how the process went. What are, what are moments that have stuck out to you that have been learning moments or, or great challenges that have happened? Already? I learn things every day. I'm, like, give us one example. Like, uh, have you fallen on your face? <laughs> yeah, most times. Be- Beacon Theater load in super early. A went out way too late the night before. Stupid move, but worth it. But also not worth it. Um, Beacon Theater, the labor there is the local union who yeah. move at a New York City pace. Mm-hmm. Um, one mistake that I made in my design process was to not. The, the design, what, spacing the fixtures out was for sticks of trusses and using the geometry that it naturally exists in a stick of truss. At the beacon, there's no truss. It's just one piece of pipe to hang lights from. So what I had not taken the measure of, pun intended, I guess, was to, to, to measure out the space between each fixture. Right. So when I got to marking uh, uh, points on the pipe where to put the lights, I didn't know the exact distance from the center for each of these lights. So I was kind of winging it, and the local guys were, you know, they're just trying to get the shit up in there as, fa- as fast as possible. So I was looking at the way we hung the rig initially, and it was not right, so I had to make adjustments. And, you know, that's X amount of time that could be spent elsewhere. So that's, I guess that's an example of a learning moment. Did you piss off the local crew? Is that what I, you could, You don't have to do much to do that. <laughs> yeah. I don't get the, the, the desire to go back to the beacon. I can see why people do it once, but unless you're a big, huge band, I, I don't know. I it's, would... uh, yeah, it's just an epic room. Legendary. So many cool things happen there, and it's really beautiful inside. True, true. I mean, it's like the Fillmore to, I mean, the real Fillmore to Almond Brothers fans. Sure. I mean, they would come out of their comfort zones there, and they did all kinds of... Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the peak of the band, non-Dwayne, was 2009 Beacon, but don't get me started on them. 
That's um, over. That's over my head. What about the? Oh God, the guests. They, they were so on, and the guests were ridiculous. And even Clapton sat in with them. It's just sick. Yeah, Clapton's the, overrated. Yeah. Well, when he's with the brothers, they they push him out of his comfort zone. Okay. You know, when he's with Derek, he 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 doesn't do the safe stuff. He he gets pushed. That's I why the '06 Clapton tour is ridiculous. I saw that tour. That's like with the Derek best Clapton. Yeah, I saw that. Aside from George Harrison's tribute after George died, yep. that's the best playing I've seen from Clapton since I started seeing him in '83. Cool. But I don't. This I take, I'll take your word for it. Thank you. Yeah. What I about just th- think Clapton was in the right place at the right time for Cream. I think that band would have been amazing with just Jack Bruce and Ginger Baker and anybody else on Interesting. Guitar. Hot take, but interesting angle. No, my my reservations with him is that he he didn't push himself and take a lot of risks mm-hmm. once the '80s came along. Sure, he still was great though to me. Um, one thing, and we, we're running out of time here. One thing Jefferson always said was about. He could get into such a zone when they're improvising that it could feel, and, and I saw this too, it could feel like the lights were almost influencing the band. It certainly happens with Fish. Hmm. Are you getting into that point now where something, you feel like you do something? Like I felt during Booth Love, what we already talked about, I hmm. felt like that, the, when, you, when you were emphasizing what Brendan was doing, yeah. it like forced the band to like, hey, hey, listen to what Brendan's doing. Sure. Yeah, it's definitely possible. I'm not... I'm definitely trying to stay out of the way as much as possible. Sure, of course, now. yeah. Um, I think it's a it's a constant oscillation between anticipating and following. Um, so sometimes, if I think I'm following, but they're actually going somewhere else, um, it might be a little off. Or if I'm anticipating something to happen and it doesn't happen, then it might be a little off. But you know, that's kind of the game of of the, of the improv part of the show. Yeah, I th- I've definitely caught myself a couple times trying to follow Jake's patterns of when he's in tread mode. Um, so if he's like totally ripping, I'm down to, you know, lay on the strobe a little bit more. And sometimes he'll pull out a little faster than I it was anticipating. Yeah, I like the, also when they get percussive with the improv, you were doing some cool yeah. lifting of the lights and no, throwing. It's, and it's, I mean, I'm definitely taking a different approach than the person before me. All yeah. right, we'll end with this. Umphrey's fans, very excited, enjoying what you're, what you're doing. If, if they to want hear. to go about letting you know directly, what's the best way to do that? Hmm. Ben at Umphrey's.com. Yeah. Okay. I feel like that's the easiest way to remember it, too. Simple. Ben at Umphreys.com. Thanks for your time. That's an email address, by the way. Band at Umphreys.com. Ben. Ben at Umphreys. Oh, I think you said band. If you, I think if you. I thought you were like, don't, you, don't let him have my email. No, no. I think if you email band at Umphreys.com, it's just like a general email. No, Ben at Umphreys. Ben at Umphreys.com, folks. Yeah. Let him know. Let him hear it. And even if it's even if it's criticism, that's what we tell our listeners. If you yeah. if you like, what I'm you open hear, to it. Review us on iTunes. If you don't, email us directly and tell us. If you only give them four stars. You're probably a hater, inclined to think you're a hater. Right. We are a five-star podcast, I think, <laughs> at our best. Hell yeah, man. Thanks, man. Thanks for joining Appreciate us. It. Thanks for all your work. Thanks Thank you, Chris me. Mitchell, Thanks for, for engineering me. this tirelessly. <laughs> Flying Eye Productions, of course. And uh, we'll see you tonight. Absolutely. Hopefully more great sit-ins. Oh, oh yeah. God, last night was sick. Yeah. Billy Strings, perhaps. Wow.
You know, Seth, one of the things I love about doing this podcast is the crossover stuff between episodes. Careful, careful listeners, regular listeners will notice them the most. Uh, we're approaching 100 episodes, so that's uh, probably that probably there. That doesn't count our side episodes either. Oh, so. yeah, then we're definitely up there, yeah. And, I can't uh, believe, how is that possible? Anyway, go on, the crossovers, yes. Speaking of which, we've been talking to a local venue. We're going to have some live uh, information soon. And uh, yes. uh, the second of which may be our 100th episode, but more on that later. But I More just, on. We've been mentioning a couple of interviews about New York, about how it can be a great city to play in. There's so much about it, but it also is a city that has temptations. Uh-huh. So it's funny that when, you know, in this episode, when um, Ben tells us about one of the things he had to learn, and that was showing up for load-in after having been out oh, yeah. late the night before. Hmm. Which, where did it happen? Of course, New York. So I thought that was an interesting callback to at least two, maybe even three very recent interviews. I'll let you folks find them yourselves. So, Seth. Yeah. What have you had going on lately? Well, you had a really successful auction, did you not? Well, it wasn't an auction. Uh, Saturday, I was in town. Um, I happened to be in town. So it's worked out. Uh, I was going to do this gig for the Georgia Child Advocacy Group. And um, they hired me. And I wasn't going to be there originally, but some things changed and I was able to be there. Uh, So I hired an assistant that was going to run it, but he ended up, it worked out. What it was is bingo and bubbly. 200 women in a room where I ran bingo. And it wasn't just regular bingo. We had all different, you know, types of bingo, which are, you know, the regular type of bingo, you know, the dots and all that, but also music trivia bingo. And then as your rock chenier, I added music to the intros of everything and during it. And then we did like some minute to win it style challenges when there was multiple winners. We made sure there's multiple winners. So it was really entertaining. Um, their fund to need was a goal of 5,000. I think we raised 12,000, maybe nice. fifteen. Um, and that's just one element. The other elements was all everyone paid to be there. There was a silent auction as well. But it was a really amazing event. Over 200, oh, no, 200 women all on a Saturday morning uh, drinking bubbly and and being entertained. And Sounds like heaven. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I think uh, we've connected with a lot of other folks there. And it's, it's neat. But you see, as your auctioneer, it's not just doing auctions. I know a lot of people are like, oh, can you talk fast? It's like, sure. I can also talk over you if you like, but um, the neat That's for damn sure. <laughs> the neat thing is is being able to provide creative fundraising concepts, right? And to have a proper sound system so people can hear you. Oh yeah, you. we had the the company was so good that oh, they that's hired, that's and, I, and they even you know I, I've worked at this company a couple times now, so when I show up, they're like they had everything there for me, even to the point of having a fader. I bring my own fader, but they brought a fader because. They knew that's what I like to use. That was like really nice. Nice. I could go for a Seth fader. Mm, yeah. You got to have good sound because people aren't going to bid if they can't hear, right? They're not even going to stop talking if they can't hear. No, you lose them out. Yeah. Sound system is key. And uh, I, we've, we've, you actually joined me for a nightmare on that. won't mention the auction, but I will mention the fact that they had a speaker that was smaller than a karaoke speaker and not to the specs that we, prov- we put in the contract. So uh, they lost a lot of money on that one. It was sad. You, once you lose people's attention, they're gone. It's like our podcast. Hey, by the way, thanks for still listening. And if you are still listening, what can they do, Rob, with iTunes? Leave us a review on iTunes. Five-star review, please. It helps us. We are not a big operation. We can take all the help we can get. If you do enjoy the show, please say it loud. And You're email us. And proud. Email us. Let us know inside out. Or, or, you know what? I don't care how you reach out to us. Twitter, if you want to talk to Rob. Facebook, if you want to talk to me. 
however you want to. We want to hear from you. What are some artists you want us to interview? Inside Out WTNS. Inside Out WTNS at gmail.com. And I'm R-S-T-N-E-R on Twitter. And before I tell you about some of our upcoming acts, I just want to say that uh, I'm sorry, a Bob Weir note, but John McEwen of the Nitty Gritty Dirt Band sat in with Bob Weir and the Wolf Brothers last night. They did a Guy Clark song. They did Orange Blossom Special. They did Friend of the Devil. They did Dark Star into Karina. They did Going Down the Road Feeling Bad all together. Bob Weir fans, check that out. It's uh, 3120 Tampa, St. Pete, somewhere. Hmm. Check that one out. We got great episodes coming up too, folks. Billy Cobham. Um, oh, yeah, we're finally get that one out there. Yes, it's been pushed around, that poor thing. But I've been emailing with Billy. He might come up with some cool music for us. Make that happen, Rob. Come on now. Give those uh, jazz head listeners something special. I'm flaking, but there's you are all flaky. kinds of artists I want to interview. There's all kinds of artists we're, we're talking about interviewing, but maybe not jump the gun. Hey, listen, we put something out to Sinead O'Connor, and... Uh, that came back as a maybe in the future, so that, that'd be fun. I mean, I'm excited for Arlo Guthrie Thursday. What did did they not even respond? Uh like I, you don't bring that on the air, Rob. Why What's not? wrong with it? No, Why not? I've been a fan of this guy for 40 years. I'm going to ask you on the air. I don't know if his publicist contact on his website's current, oh, Jesus, okay. and we don't have the money because we don't have the sponsors, so we can't. So reviews on our, iTunes, uh, we can star, buddy. Think of yeah. the things we can make happen, people. We have a studio right next to Variety Playhouse. Listen to the Railroad Earth episode. You'll hear how good it can sound. You'll hear how convenient it is to the musicians. Support this podcast. We will bring you mind-blowing interview performance entertainment. Right, Seth? That's right. Uh, I'll see you all soon, I hope, right? I'd also want to do more coming back. I also want to do a show on webcasts coming up soon. You know what I mean? Yes. You've been wanting to do that for a while, so. Yeah, we were were compiling requests, but uh, answers to the question, but nobody ever compiled. That was our early days when we didn't have a respect. But because, um, you know, to, to be honest with you, there was a glitch in the fish thing. A lot of people are, are upset when they pay a lot of money for a webcast. And I love that they're made available. Are oh, you talking about Fish bands... Mexico? Yes. I didn't know there was a glitch. But, but your response to my concern about it is kind of a microcosm of the way people view the industry's response to like uh, just concerns about the webcasting world, you know? Because they're charging a lot of money for these webcasts, and a lot of these people buy them to watch them live. And right. even though generous replay offers, no, are they great don't want. They want to like find. Me. They want to know the set list as it's happening, and not as they're getting text they about experience. it. They want not to know the set list. They it's want to experience. Experiences. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So that's something I'd really like to. to uh, what about you, listeners? Do you want Rob and I to explore that? Let us know. And do you have comments or feelings? On webcast, please share them with us. I'm going to put this out on Twitter as well. Again, insideoutwtns at gmail.com or tweet them to us at insideoutwtns on Twitter. I end by saying take care of yourselves, everyone. Take care of yourselves. Take a deep breath. Slow down. Live for today and not for tomorrow. And Don't live in fear. Be cautious, but don't be fearful. Take us out of here, Rob. Oh, I forgot. We're going to end this episode... Yeah. As I said before, uh, Billy Strings sat in with Humphreys for three songs, and all were very special. But this, to me, this really knocked me out. His version of the of one of Humphreys' oldest original compositions, Phil's Farm. <laughs> Thank you.
coke, drink the smoke, smooth the death building.
give it up for Billy Strings. We kind of threw him to the Lions and showed him that about 20 minutes ago, so. Well done.